Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you have found the right place. This episode, I have another amazing guest for you. He is extremely passionate about decoding human excellence and guiding others in the pursuit of personal excellence. He currently serves as the mental skills coordinator for the Arizona Diamondbacks. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at MVP underscore mindset. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Zach Brandon. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tyler. I've been really looking forward to uh, chatting more. Definitely. We are grateful to have you. It's also Thanksgiving week. So let's start by talking a little bit about gratitude. Grateful to have you on. Gratitude, is it a mental skill worth developing and can it help us when we per se step into that batter's box? Yeah, this is a timely question, as you mentioned, with the, as we're here at Thanksgiving week. And I, I really love uh, talking about gratitude. It's something that uh, I, I think is a tremendous value for, for anybody, not just athletes, but for any individual. And that's one of, I think, the fun things about our field is we often talk about mental skills or concepts that can be applicable between the lines, right, in a game performance setting. But really, this is a, a practice that uh, practicing gratitude is something that anybody can benefit from. And it's where I think mental skills can kind of cross over into life skills in a sense and applications to, to the everyday people. So when I think about gratitude, uh, I can't help but think about there was a, a research study where they looked at um, people and they had them uh, write down three things that they were grateful for, for three days or for three weeks, I'm sorry. So every day, three things that okay. you're grateful for three weeks. And the results were, were pretty astounding. They, they, they found all sorts of positive changes. People weren't just more optimistic. They weren't just feeling increases in psychological well-being, but we actually saw differences in brain chemistry, things like uh, dopamine production. So that's from a science perspective. So we know that there's a ton of evidence for it. And one of the things that I think about often is uh, gratitude's relationship with happiness, right? Like everybody wants to talk about uh, how, do you, how do we become happier? And particularly here in 2020, uh, which has challenged most yeah. of us in many ways. And I think it's, it's not happiness that allows us to be grateful, but it's a gratefulness that allows us to be happy. So I, I think there's a ton of value in it. Uh, one of the things that uh, I think is a, an exercise that someone could do is just taking time to think about not just someone, something, or somewhere in your life that you're grateful for, but also imagine if that person or that thing didn't exist. Like what if things like, you know, what if they were removed from your life? Um, and I, I think it just provides some really nice insight. So I, I think we're all going to be afforded the opportunity to, to practice this over the next week as, as most often we do here in the States uh, with the Thanksgiving holiday. But um, I, I definitely think it's a, a skill worth developing I, I, and just lastly, I would say that if anybody, one of the, the researchers that I look to a lot is um, Dr. Nicole Gabbana. She's at the University of Massachusetts, and she is their director of sports psych, and, and she's done a, a lot of work in this area. And I think she's, for anybody that's interested in learning more, she'd be a great resource. 
Great stuff. Um, if you can't tell, if you listen to enough episodes of this podcast, you know why I've got Zach on. I love to geek out about mental skills and performance and those kind of things. What led you yourself to becoming a mental skills coordinator with the Arizona Diamondbacks? And tell us a little bit about that role as well. Sure. Yeah, I think it, it was really the kind of the merging of, of two passions, like one, just this fascination with the mind and, and psychology, how it works, what it what it the more we study it, the more we realize what we really how many things we don't realize how powerful it, it can be. Um, and then sports, I think, have always been a pretty integral part of my life and wanted to kind of find a, a career where I could blend those things together to help other people and Little did I realize that mental skills, sports psychology, there was a whole field out there with people that were doing this work on a, on a regular basis. So those were kind of those passions that merged together. Uh, I really like that question of like, what do I enjoy about it? Uh, there's a lot of things that initially come to mind. Uh, I think one of the things that really stands out is as, as human beings, like we're all storytellers, right? Like that's, that's what we, when you ask somebody to tell them, tell me a little bit about yourself, we immediately go to stories and we share experiences that we've had and memories that we have of those experiences. And I, I think that's one of the cool things that we're afforded in this type of, of a role. Um, probably no similar than being a, a podcast host and getting to get to talk to people and hear their stories. And so that's one of the things that I've, I've really enjoyed is, is just kind of being uh, a guide, uh, part of that process for another person's story and, and just hearing what those stories are. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, what it makes me kind of think of there's an entire industry in a book in, in books where autobiographies, where, people don't just purchase those books because they want to know the five point strategic plan for success. Yes. There are certainly those sure. that are interested in that, but we also read those because we want to hear what were the events or what were the experiences insights that led that person to, you know, achieve the success along the way, like what occurred behind the scenes, what are their stories? So um, I think being in a field where I get a chance to do that on a daily basis with, with our athletes and with performers is a lot of fun. So uh, that one for me is, is what comes to mind. Awesome. Is there a person in particular that has inspired you along your career or someone that continually does? This is a tough question because it's hard to pick one, right? Like I, yeah. as for those who I've maybe shared this with before, I, I often will say, like, I don't think anybody gets to where they're at alone, you know, that we all kind of have people that influence us along the way. And I've been pretty fortunate to have several. So it's definitely tricky to pick one. Uh, I think for me, it, it'd be hard not to, to pick uh, a gentleman by the name of, of Ken Revisa, who was a kind of a pioneer within the field of, of sports psych and, he was doing this before. It, it, I think obviously there's still work to be had in terms of normalizing it across sports and, and different levels, but he was out there doing it before anybody really knew what it was and, and when it still had a pretty significant stigma. So uh, I, I, I reference him because I was really fortunate to get a chance to spend some time with him uh, before he passed away a couple years ago. Awesome. And uh He's had a, a pretty significant influence on, on my life and 
I, you know, certainly I think not just myself, but I think a lot of us would not be able to do this on a day-to-day basis as a career without people like him who've kind of helped pave the way. And, and we're fortunate enough that I think one of the characteristics that I really admire about him as well as many others is they're willing to be, to contribute to the field of, of, as a whole, sports psychology as a whole, where they were willing to share and and peel back the curtain of the work that they were doing. Some people will will keep things very close to the chest, and and I've really admired his willingness to um, share share his his insights, share his lessons learned, the successes, the failures, and and I try to um, uh, I guess re-echo that in my own in my own career in, in some ways. Thank you want to say that I know of, I think you're the third student of Ken's that I think has been on the podcast. Very cool. And I think one of the things you, you can tell me your opinion, I think one besides the many Kenisms and all those things, um, the way he taught in a classroom and then brought it to the field instead of just being, I think, sports psychology stuck in the classroom and without practicality. Um, can you talk a little bit about maybe that kind of magic of how you get science into the mind of the athlete? That's really well said. No, I, uh, what you just described is something that I, I found myself sharing with uh, students or people interested in pursuing sports psych is I think there's a difference between being able to speak sports psychology and being able to speak the mental game of baseball, right? Or, or fill in the blank with whatever performance sure. setting you work in. And I think that's something that people like Ken did exceptionally well is they were able to translate these things that people are, are researching, that people are developing these theories around. He was able to translate it in a way where it was digestible for the, the consumer. In this case, a lot of baseball players as well as practical. Like, I think that's something that's also certainly essential too, is there's, you know, the more we live in this world now where um, people like to talk about hacks and whatnot, and and I, we don't have to get into uh, the nuances of that, which I have different opinions on, but I think like a big thing that it, it taps into is you have to be able to make things practical um, for those that you're serving. Otherwise, you're just going to create even more uh, potential barriers to for them to implement the work. So I think that's something that's really essential for all of us um, in in any setting, really, but especially in sports psych. Is there a topic or mental tool right now that you've just kind of been fascinated or just just kind of keep keeps you thinking about it right now? Yeah. Uh, Gosh, I, I, well, one thing I've learned about myself is I get very fixated on a lot of different things. Like my mind is kind of like popcorn where it just, it's, it's like, what's the new flavor of the week, if you will. And, and it constantly um, changes. But I think one in particular that I've really been trying to read more about, trying to learn more about is I think what role our emotions play. In, in not just performance, but in life. And what's, what I think is interesting about it is emotions can be kind of this taboo topic within daily conversations, right? Um, 
people are often very unwilling to acknowledge what they feel to themselves or, or especially to other people. And I think what you find is that the more that takes place, the more we struggle with our emotions and the deeper, you know, the deeper we try to resist, or the more we try to resist them, the deeper we sink. Uh, you can kind of equate it to like quicksand almost. Yeah. And um, I think our emotions regardless of which ones we're referring to, they all provide um, a different purpose. They all provide potential value, which is really interesting when you start to peel back the layers and you think about most of our emotions are what we would consider negative or uncomfortable, right? Like things like fear, things like sadness, things like anger. Um, those are all things that I think kind of have this negative connotation to them. And yet, um, when we exert all this energy trying to resist them, rather than embrace and channel what they offer us, it, um, it, it can be exhausting. So that's something that I've been thinking about a lot, um, particularly around fear. Like fear is the one that um, nobody likes to talk about. Some people, uh, what I think is it's probably more discussed than we realize, but we don't use the term fear because it's not kosher for us to say that, oh, I'm afraid we say like, oh, I'm stressed out or I'm anxious. Like we'll, you'll say anxiety or, fear, uh, or, or stress, which I think a lot of times is often just fear in disguise. And, uh -huh. and so I've been kind of on this kick lately trying to really think about how can we change our relationship with fear and, and learn how to embrace it, learn how to channel it because we're, we only, as we know, we only get one, um, performance here in, in life. And, and there's going to be a lot of fear along the way, whether you're an elite athlete or whether you're um, a parent, whether you're a, a coach or a leader or, or anyone, we all experience fear. So we're, we're far better off learning how to embrace it, learning how to channel what it provides for us, than try to resist it along the way. So that's, that's probably the, the one area emotions and most notably fear that I'm, I'm really on this kick on. I like it. That's, that's great stuff. Good insight. I always like to, how can we move from emotion back to energy? And I think that like you said, we, we emo, if you say someone's emotional, it has the, what connotation it has, right? Um, and then if you say someone's energetic, what connotation it has And that lesson that you can learn in between there is something that is difficult, but, but the quicker we can do it, the more we can get better at it, I guess. So, um, yeah. you talked about popcorn. I'm a little bit like popcorn. I think we all are in this distracted day and age competitive environments this year, uh, have a little less distraction with fans. It's watching pro and college sports is, is a little bit different. Um, but there's a world of other different distractions going on too. Uh, is there a tool that you like to share or maybe that you use personally to help refocus when we get on a tangent that isn't serving us? My, my favorite mental skill to probably discuss and, and train with, with athletes is attention. Um, and so I think that fits really well with this idea of how do you manage distractions? And, you know, I often think about like people love to talk about peak performance, right? Like, being in flow, being in the zone, whatever kind of term you want to use. Like, I think if we really peel back the layers, like those are the experiences, those thrilling experiences that we have in sport that 
keep us coming back, right? It, it, it kind of keeps us going despite the agony of defeat or despite the, all the effort we put into sport that sometimes isn't rewarded. So when we think about peak performance, we know that it only exists in the present moment, that it's really difficult to be in flow without having your mind engaged and uh, on, to the task at hand. So for me, I think about then like, okay, well, how do we train presence? Like, how do we train that? And, and for us, something that we do a lot of is, is things like mindfulness and, and meditation uh, and, and trying to not just talk about them, but also help players learn how they can practice it. And, and, and also how they can live a life uh, that's more um, that they're where they're more mindful as well. So in the U S in particular, there's all of these mental game, like buzz phrases, things like slow the game down one pitch, one play at a time, control the controllables, you know, next pitch, next play mentality, all sorts of different ones. And I think if you uh, peel back the layers, a common thread amongst each of those is uh, your ability to pay attention uh, to the present moment helps you do all of those things. And, and so for us, mindfulness is kind of the way in which you can practice those kind of mental game axioms. So uh, that's, that's the one thing. And I, and that's a way at least we like to practice it. I think in the moment too, there's ways that you can uh, incorporate mindfulness. Uh, for example, we often will say, baseball were afforded a lot of time you know you get 15 to 20 mm -hmm. seconds between pitches right and people will say that's where the mental game lives in this sport so having uh, an anchor having some sort of uh, cue or reset that you can look to that whether it's visual something that you can do physically um, something that you can um, say to yourself uh, so those are kind of three things that uh, we try to provide as options for guys and then help them figure out which ones are going to be the most meaningful or helpful to them. And then once we've got that too, how do we practice it? So a, a quick example is one of our, our, our starting pitchers, he talks about when he visualizes. So visualization is super popular mental skill. And we know that there's a ton of evidence, ton of science behind it, why it works, why it's valuable. What a lot of people will do is they visualize themselves uh, being successful, which is great. And it's one way you can use visualization is see yourself getting mental reps, executing pitches, um, your, your, your approach at the plate, whatever it might be. For him, what he'll actually do is he visualizes himself slowing the game down, which is very different. He tries to visualize himself in situations where he knows the game speeds up, where his tempo uh, speed, uh, quickens and he tries to deliberately in his mind practice slowing things down with things like the breath with his tempo uh, maybe using some sort of cue uh, in addition to that so I think that's one of the ways is again once you identify these tools that you may have at your disposal in a game from there it's like okay well what can I do to get better at it for me, I think mindfulness, visualization, those are just a couple of the ways that we can train those. What do you observe is one of the greatest separators when it comes to mental skills? Obviously, at the major leagues, there's talent abundance. But what is the, the real mental edge separator that you can see here and there? Good question. I'm trying to still unpack that one, I think, a little bit, you know, myself. And it's kind of like in baseball, for example, you know, you look at a hitter and 
and there's all these nuances. Yeah, you can find some similarities across each guy's swing, but each guy's swing in many ways is like the fingerprint, right? Like they all look yeah. a little bit different. And I, and I think sometimes we know that there's some core mental skills that are really valuable, but I think the ones that, um, you know, there are, there's a multitude and, and some are strengths versus uh, weaknesses for each different person. So I think the one that really jumps out for me that I've seen and, and maybe this year really kind of highlighted it was this idea of like discipline and, and kind of how important it is to be consistent in your, your preparation, consistent in your process, your behaviors, particularly in a game that's a marathon season, right? And I know we only played 60 or so games this year. I, I tell people I felt like we sprinted a marathon is what yeah. it felt. Um, and so I, I think that that ability or that ability to be disciplined is really challenged um, in our sport. And I think another thing that goes in hand in hand with that is what's unique maybe about baseball compared to some sports is we're a competition-based sport. So in other words, we train and we compete on the same day. You know, if now you, you multiply that by 162 games in a season. And I think what's challenging about that is how consistent you can be in your preparation I think we, we know can, can uh, tell us about your consistency and performance yet, you know, everybody likes to talk about the amount of times you fail in baseball. Well, if a guy is training, you know, at two o'clock during batting practice and then he's got to go and play in a game where mo more often than not you fail as well, like no one really wants to do that. And so baseball kind of has this long history of training in a way that's a lot easier um, than the game, for example. But I think one of the things that you, you see are those who are able to uh, understand what allows them to succeed at seven o'clock when the lights come on and then be uh, relentlessly committed to that in their process, in their preparation. And I think when, when guys are able to do that over the long haul, that's where to me discipline is really what stands out for those individuals. I think reflecting back on my my years with the White Sox, people asked one of my keen observations was just the arrival times, whether it's visitors or, or players. Said so Hall of Famers show up first, all-star players show up second, the rest of the team shows up at, at around the other hour. Yeah. And it was just uh, for me, it was seeing Jim Tomey kind of, you know get in there first thing every day <laughs> like why is he here so early he's pretty good already <laughs> but it was it was that consistency and that routine um speaking of guys like jim tomey i guess in my opinion what makes a great leader off the field more so in the clubhouse in away from the field what are some things that that you find leadership skills in those areas yeah um this is an area that i i i I'm really interested in uh, the more I've I, in the last couple of years, I found myself diving more and more into leadership in, in general and, and maybe importantly, like how do we cultivate leadership? Um, but, you know, before you even cultivate it, it's getting at what you're talking about. What does it look like? And I, and I think one of the, the things that we make a mistake of is we kind of take for granted that people know what great leadership looks like. And so I think for me, what does a great leader look like? Uh, a quick anecdote is um, there's a, a gentleman who's done a lot of research in this area by the name of Sam Walker. 
and he wrote the book, The Captain Class, which I'm sure people listening yeah. or yourself have, have either heard or, or, or read. Um, and I, he does a great job of kind of breaking down, you know, the, the best teams of all time, finding out what was the thing that separated them. And in his research, the biggest thing that stood out was these people that served as captains. Now, they weren't necessarily given the title of captain, but the way in which they influenced their teammates put them in roles of influence and in, in what we'd kind of categorize as leaders as leadership. So um, he did a great job of kind of breaking down, you know, what some of those things look like. Uh, part of that is this idea of like going back to emotions, like having um, being able to regulate your emotions and manage those uh, is, is important. Talked about um, kind of this relentless, focus, if you will, and commitment. So again, kind of combining that discipline element and, and that attention element that we've already kind of touched on. Obviously, there's an element of being able to motivate others with kind of how you carry yourself, a variety of different things. And, and um, I, I've really enjoyed reading some of his work and have got a chance to talk to him a little bit. And, and that for me is, so I, I often peel back to that in the sports setting. I think that's a great uh, guy. Uh, blueprint that we can do as coaches, as leaders to help athletes understand, hey, these are some of the characteristics that we see in great leaders in sports settings. And then once we do that, then it's about, I think, trying to create opportunities for them um, to lead. Um, And I think that's that's the thing too. One of the biggest things I think I've learned is um, a couple years ago, I was like, okay, I feel like I can get to be a better leader just simply by going on Amazon and haphazardly buying leadership books, you know, and reading about, and yes, that can kind of help to some degree, but it's really once you're in a role that's, that requires you to act like a leader or to perform leadership responsibilities. And then you reflect on that. That's actually where your development as a leader comes from. So I think as, as coaches, as practitioners, the more we can, help provide some of those opportunities uh, for those individuals. I think that's one way in which we can um, cultivate it once we know kind of what it, what it looks like. So um, that's one, just one other quick, quick anecdote that I like. Uh, I love coach K in college basketball. Like I think coach K is first class when it comes to to leadership. And one of the books that I read a, a long time ago that I really liked was the gold standard. And he talks about the, the 2008 um, gold medal Olympic team. And, and one of the things that he did, and one of the things he talks about is he gave everybody a notebook in their first meeting. And on the front page was a picture of the gold medal. And he wanted players to know um, and be reminded daily of what the team's vision was, what their mission and, and what it was going to take to get there. And so he talks a lot about standards in that book and how he says like rules don't promote teamwork standards do. Um, and, and I, where I think that comes back to this too is great leadership. Uh, there has to be, I think some element of standards that people are, are aware of. You can't just, people aren't, uh, can't be held or what am I, what's the right word? Like if people aren't aware of it, they, they're not going to take accountability for it. So I think, right. Like setting those expectations and making those clear, I think uh, goes hand in hand with identifying what are those characteristics of leaders and now how do we uh, become better leaders and, and promote our team culture. 
I always had the thought too. I always loved the idea of standards over rules. Um, if a coach creates rules, how do your players move the rules? But if you create standards, there's a way for your players to move up the standards. I like that. Yeah, and, I like that a lot. And I think that it's like, well, the rules are, they're going <laughs> to, that's going to be fixed. You know, you're already kind of starting from a fixed, fixed mindset with, with some of that. Um, I also definitely, if you're listening to this, Captain's Class, the book he mentioned, fantastic. I've read it a while ago. I think maybe you, I want to see your opinion on this. I love, because I think when you see leadership books, finding the commonalities is easy. I think one of the things Sam does really well in that book while presenting common factors that makes great leaders, he also presents the ones that are contrasting. And I think that as coaches and stuff, sometimes the, it made me think of like, see leadership in people that I might not have seen leadership in before um, by just seeing some of the way he, he waxes poetically about some great, great athletes and leaders. So um, success, my favorite question, one of the ones we like to end with, how do you define success, Zach? Uh, great. This is a, this is a question actually not too many people ask this so appreciate you one asking and challenging me here a little bit um so for me i think it's it's living out my values so people that have maybe heard me go on a soapbox about it before i, I don't i don't reference goals too often um i, I at least for me personally they they I've struggled to resonate with goals in many ways. Um, I, I feel for some, they kind of become like check boxes. And then as a result too, this year is a prime example. There's a lot of athletes that had goals coming into 2020 and then seasons were upended. And there's a lot of things outside of their control that influence that. Whereas values to me provide us this opportunity to experience success regardless of where we're at, where we're at on a given day. So, you know, just to kind of reference a few, like some of mine are one, it's connection. Like I love connecting with people like yourself, people that are passionate about um, human performance, passionate about um, helping pe people become the best versions of themselves or whatever it might be. And so when I think about that in a given moment, I can make a choice that is aligned with that value. So for example, if somebody reaches out, um, I can follow through and, and connect with that person and engage in a conversation. Or if I value connection with somebody that I haven't talked to in a long time, I can, you know, pull up the phone and, and text people. And I, as I say this, this is an area that I have a lot of room to uh, room for growth. And I'm not by any means perfect in this. I'm probably one of the worst texture responders in, in history, but um, it is something that I really do enjoy is, is connecting with people. Um, growth is one of my, my values. So every day, you know, asking myself, what did I learn today? Um, how did I get better um, as a practitioner, as a person? So whether it's, you know, it's reading, maybe it's through a conversation with somebody um, or, or taking some time to reflect on, on experiences that I've had, whatever it might be, uh, growth is important to me. Uh, and then one, maybe other one is just, kind of this combination of like service and contribution. So I, I really am passionate about our field and, and enjoy trying to help others that want to pursue this and, and do this on a day-to-day -day basis and uh, try to find as many ways as I can to kind of share 
share in a sense with, with those folks. So um, those are just a few. So for me, success is if I'm, uh, if I can uh, quote unquote, to use something that I just said, I don't do like, if I can kind of check the box on a daily basis with those values and did I do something that was in accordance to them for me, uh, you add that up over time and that's success. (laughs) 